Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love It's Lainey from the Library Love Fest marketing team. We're back with another episode of Editors Unedited, and today I am joined by Christina Garces, and I'm going to let her take it away. Hello. Um, I'm Christina Garces, and I'm an editor at Harper Design, the visual books imprint of HarperCollins. Um, I work on a variety of lifestyle titles, including cookbooks, interior design, pop culture, illustrated gift books, everything in between. Um, and my projects are both homegrown, and they come, from, come in from agents as well. So because the way that illustrated books look is just as integral as the content, there's a lot of moving parts to illustrated books in addition to the manuscript, like photography and design. So I work incredibly closely and collaboratively with all of my authors to create the right look and feel for each of the books that I work on. So in particular, I really love to acquire books from diverse voices, books that have a really strong point of view whose authors have new and interesting stories to tell. This is what led me to working with Anna Francis Goss on her cookbook, Heirloom Kitchen. I like to describe this book as In the Company of Women Meets America the Cookbook. So it's a gorgeous, full-color, illustrated cookbook and personal cultural history. It's filled with 100 mouth-watering recipes from around the world, and the recipes really celebrate the culinary traditions of 40 strong and empowering immigrant women and the remarkable diversity that is American food. So this book is going to be out just in time for Mother's Day 2019, and it could not be more timely, I think, given today's political climate. Um, I think what people really need right now is to feel a connection to other people. Um, and it's about seeing each other as fellow Americans, about forming a bond with people who we feel may be dissimilar to us, but who are actually much more similar than we might think. So I'm delighted to introduce Anna Francis Goss, who is a food blogger, a recipe tester, and a mom of three adorable kids. After working in corporate sales for a time, Anna decided to trade the boardroom for the test kitchen and she's now a graduate of the French Culinary Institute and has worked for Whole Foods, Mad Hungry, Martha Stewart Living. Um, currently, she's a regular contributing editor at Food52 and a contributing writer for MSN.com, and she runs a blog called Anna's Heirloom Kitchen. So Anna, this book has such an incredible backstory. Can you tell me a little bit about how the idea for this book came about? Sure, absolutely. Um, I was born in Italy. Um, my father is an American. He is of Italian descent. He went over to Italy to um, study and met my mom. They married. Um, I was born, and my parents had to, you know, make a decision as to where they were going to raise me, and be, they, you know, kind of weighed their options and realized that, you know, America just had more opportunities financially and economically for my dad and my mom. So we moved back over here. We settled back in Rhode Island. And I, the way I explain my childhood is that, and you know, many immigrant families here in the U.S. or first-gen kids that I've spoken to, become friends with, we all understand that, you know, you grow up in America, you're very much, you know, 
an American kid, but your home is that of your, you know, country of origin, so to speak. So I grew up in America. I was absolutely an American child. However, I felt at home that I was really growing up in Italy. You know, my mother spoke Italian to us in the house. And then, of course, the foods that we ate and the traditions that we followed were all those that my mom grew up with in Italy. So it's kind of like you have this double identity, right? So, you know, you have your outward identity at school with your friends and your teachers, but then at home you kind of have this comfort zone of your mom's foods and her, you know, mother tongue. So as I grew up, I just kind of grew up eating all these foods that my mother also grew up eating back in Italy. And that there was always that connection, you know, like we say, you know, we're, we're here, but we're still kind of tethered to our homeland. And what I realized is, you know, that's, that's what made my mother comfortable in a new place, you know, didn't speak the language, had to learn new cultures, new customs, raise her children in a new land. But it was that home uh, environment that she created for us that made us feel safe and also made her feel safe. And so I, you know, fast forward, I become an adult, I, I go to NYU, I enter the corporate world in Manhattan, and then I st get married and start having kids of my own. And, you know, after the, my second daughter was born, I just decided I, I just, I didn't want to do the corporate thing anymore and spoke to my father and he said, you know, you love cooking, you love being in the kitchen with your mom, what about culinary school? You know, I was like a Food Network addict at the time. So I, I jumped in with both feet. My parents supported me. They, they watched my kids while I went to French Culinary Institute. They were amazing, and they set me up with amazing internships at both Food 52 and Martha Stewart in the test kitchen, and I just loved the science of it. So that was amazing. I turned both of those internships into careers. So while I'm doing this, raising my girls, um, then I ended up having a third child, my son. I was testing recipes, and then I, 2015, had what I love to call my Oprah aha moment, <laughs> where I said, wow, I'm testing all these recipes, this is my job, and I don't know how to make my mom's meatballs. So, you know, we have this joke that this, this whole book started with a meatball, <laughs> because I said to my mom, I don't know how to make them, um, I need you to teach me how. And of course, our, our first little cooking session was, you know, a disaster. She's throwing everything into the pot. She's not paying attention. She's not listening to me to slow down. Right. She's and cooking from I, her mind and not with exactly, recipe exactly. ingredients, measurements, any of the things you would really need. Precisely. And she just kind of, you know, as a true grandmother does, it's a pinch of this and a dash of that. So we had to do it again, and you know, I had a timer, I had a wait. We really took our time, and what we came up with was a very precise recipe of my mom's. And what I realized is, even though it looks like a pinch of this and a dash of that, it's always that same pinch and that same dash. So the reason my mom's meatballs tasted the same every time is even though the recipe wasn't written down, there was a true recipe, you know, living somewhere in her head. We started what I called, you know, the meatball project. We just kept testing all of her recipes because at that point I was like, you know, my sister and I really want to have these recipes forever. Um, you know, I want my mom to live a million years, but there is going to be the day when she's not going to be there to, to make our, you know, family Sunday dinners. And I want my girls to have those recipes and, and my son and, 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 you know, for generations to come. So then I started thinking, wow, I have all these first generation friends. I went to NYU 
Um, my dad joked that my wedding party looked like the United Nations <laughs> because I have like a friend from like every country. So I emailed all my friends and said, look, all your moms came from someplace else. They're all amazing chefs. I'm going to provide a service for you. If you can get your mom to agree to cook with me, I will write down your favorite recipes for you and you will have them forever. And I figured, you know, maybe I'd get a couple of people to write back, but instead I had a ton of people write back. Oh my gosh, you have to, my mom makes dumplings. I need to know how to make them. Yes, please do this for me. So I, you know, went on Squarespace and started a little blog and I figured, all right, I'm going to make these recipes. I'm going to share them with the world and it's going to be this fun little project for me. So slowly but surely it built up. But what happened was, and what I feel what makes this project so special is when I cooked with the very first woman, um, Nellie. She lives in Long Island. She's Greek. She came over from Greece in, you know, her early 20s. Is while we were cooking her recipes, I just happened to ask her, you know, we're cooking, we're talking. Why did you come to the U.S.? And she starts telling me her story, her whole immigration story, her childhood, um, how difficult it was. And she joked about how her town didn't have electricity till after she left. <laughs> and why, you know, she felt that when she got married and had children, she wanted to be in the United States because the United States provided opportunities that she didn't have in Greece. I'm listening to her story and I'm just realizing how similar it is to my mom's story. And, and I was just so happy because I said, wow, this project is so much more than I thought it is. And so when I put her recipe online, I had to include her story because I felt that made it so much more real. Um, it's not just the fact that she makes these, these meals for her family every Sunday. It's what goes into it on an emotional and a mental level that I felt made these recipes so much more special. Yeah, it's like cooking from the heart. It's really sharing a part of, of you with your family and your history and um, your culture, definitely. So I just kept going, you know, whether it was word of mouth or, you know, people contacting me through my blog, and it just snowballed. And I think, like Christina said, we have about 40 women now. I, I did 35 countries because, you know, like in Germany, I, I cooked with somebody from Hamburg, but then I was my other friend her mom is from berlin and she said well i know you cooked with somebody from hamburg but you need to cook with someone from berlin because our foods are so different and they are you know and then the same thing with southern and northern china um i cooked with one woman from san francisco and one woman from queens and because they come from different parts of china they both explained why their foods were different and i learned so much about temperature and geography and why different foods around the world taste the way they do, but there was always that common thread, why they came here, why they continue to cook their foods, and what that has done for our food landscape here in the U.S. And it's funny, I don't think we talk about it enough or appreciate enough the fact that the reason you can walk down a Manhattan block and literally have a meal from 20 different countries if you want is because these people came here and they didn't start making mashed potatoes and not that there's anything wrong with mashed potatoes and meatloaf they're delicious but right. they figured if I'm going to be here and I'm going to learn a new language and I'm going to raise my children in a place that's so different than where I was raised the one thing that's going to keep me whole and keep me comfortable is my food and my cultures 
And because I say these women jumped into the melting pot, but they held on to their spoon, that's why we have this amazing food experience here. And I also feel what makes us different is also what makes us so much the same. And I think that's my goal with this book is I want people to see that that's exactly what I found. Yeah, Tina, Tina had an amazing analogy. Um, do you want to share that? Yes. So Tina is a woman from China. She grew up um, in northern China, and then her family actually immigrated to Taiwan um, because of the war. And then she came here to the U.S. So she's not, you know, she's, she's immigrated more than once in her life for a better, safer life. And what she said about the whole melting pot, because I, I, I talked to her about that, and she said, you know, we call the U.S. a melting pot, but I'm just not so sure about that. I, I look at the U.S. as more of a stained glass window. We all came here. We all fused together. But we didn't blend. We each shine. You know, our own, each pane of glass shines on its own. And they're beautiful together, and they work together, and it's cohesive and, you know, hopefully many times harmonious. But we each kept our identity. And, you know, that just kind of blew my hair back because it was like, yes, it's exactly what I'm finding with this project. You know, when Christina and I met, we joked, you know, because Christina's like, Anna, this is a recipe book. This is a cookbook. There's over 100 recipes in it. But I feel that if you buy this book, even if you don't cook, (laughs) you know, you're going to find reading the stories and looking through the ingredients and just kind of hearing everybody's tale, there's something to be learned um, what the food did and, and, and how it did it. Yeah. So, you know, when you and I met, I felt like it was an instant connection um, because I'm also the daughter of immigrants. And, um, you know, growing up, I think we both seen firsthand how these strong, incredible women had these stories to tell and recipes to share um, and so when we were talking about how to, how to put the book together and what the book was going to be, I think you know, it was really important to both of us that we created a book to, that spoke to people on many different levels. So you can use this book as a straight cookbook, but we wanted it to be also so much more than that. It's really a love letter to strong women. It's to strong matriarchs, to the many varying cultures that make up our beautiful country. Um, and it's going to be just as enjoyable to read through um, as much as it is going to be wonderful to cook from. Um, so the, our, our current construction in the book is that we have profiles of about 40 women, um, and they talk about their journeys in coming to the United States and their first days, and how cooking became a comfort and a respite in a new land. Um, but then we also have their most loved family recipes, and those are partnered with the old family photographs and mementos from their homeland. And I mean, there are some really incredible tales in this book. Um, Anna also had looked up a lot of historical information, but I think when we were talking about what we wanted this book to be, you know, it, it really felt more to us that it should be about the connection um, and the personal stories of the women. Wouldn't you agree, Anna? Yes. Um, yeah. You know, once I immersed myself in this project, I did get very, very interested in um, why people cooked the way they do and why people came here and, and, and cooked the way they did. Uh, I read a lot by um, a, a professor actually in um, Canada, Donna Gabacha. She's written a ton on food, 
uh, food mores, um, women, and she just had a plethora of knowledge on, on that, that topic. So, you know, just for example, you know, when the Chinese came here, um, how they got Americans to start eating their food. So, you know, that was interesting because, you know, when I cooked with these Chinese women at home, you know, we weren't cooking, you know, General Tso's chicken and, you know, egg foo young. We were cooking foods that were very different. But then I, I learned, okay, you know, Chinese people at home cooked a certain way. They started cooking a different way for the American palate, and I found that fascinating. So there's just so many things that you could you could put in this book to explain that. But, you know, what Christina just said, which I actually love, um, that she's saying that this book is like a love letter to these women, it, it really is because – you know, it's really funny when you, you walk into these kitchens, the women, all of them would be like, you know, why do you want to learn what I can cook? Like, this is no big deal. Like, you know, they're so humble. And, you know, it was all about, you know, they're not, you know, they're not looking for a Michelin star. You know, they're not, none of them went to culinary school, although some of them did take cooking classes when they got here or back at home, which was really cool. But it was about nourishment. It was about feeling comfortable and happy. Um and so it's just kind of what I feel is like an homage to all of our mothers, whether immigrant or not, that they did this for us um, growing up. And that's kind of what the book's going to reflect. We could make the book like 700 pages, but of course, you know, that might be a little daunting. So, yeah, we, we kind of chose to go in that direction. And, um, but even the women um, in their stories, there is a lot of explanation of, you know, why they cook the way they do and why, you know, if you go to a restaurant – and eat their foods. If they might take a, taste saltier, a little bit different, and so there's a lot of little nuggets of knowledge in there, but kind of wrapped around these really personal tales um, from these women's lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all know these women. We all we are these women, um, and it's so exciting to see their their stories that they feel are maybe humble, but are actually really special and inspiring down on paper. Um, and the sad thing about books is that there's a finite number of pages, so we can't include every single thing that we want. Um, but I think, you know, we had a really um, intense editing process over the last year um, where Anna and I went back and forth on um, deciding which recipes we were going to include, which recipes we were going to photograph, um, how long the stories should be, and uh, that sort of thing, so that we were really developing a book that felt cohesive, that felt warm and inspiring and smart and also delicious um but that also wasn't as anna said 700 pages long (laughs) (laughs) so i think um you know putting this book together has just been a really magical and inspiring journey just you know seeing the strength of these people and their differing viewpoints um you know we had a photo shoot where um, a lot of the women came in to get their portraits taken um, as well as to do some of the the step-by-step photos for for their recipes um and the amazing thing is that the this in, the, this inspiring and magical feeling really expanded out into the team that was putting t- the book together um people were just really affected by by meeting these women um, and hearing their stories firsthand and tasting the food at the shoot. Let me tell you, this was like the most delicious cookbook shoot I have ever been on. Um, I would go home to my husband every night and be like, oh my God, you know what I ate today? It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually really glad that you said that. And it's funny because I, when I was, um, I got interviewed by Cherry Bomb Magazine. Um, it's a, a, an indie mag in Brooklyn, New York. And I love the title that they chose for the article. They called it Grandma's Greatest Hits. 
<laughs> and the reason I loved the title is because it's so true. You know, everyone, you know, everybody's mom cooks and they, you know, they have, you know, their rotation of meals. But we all know that our mom has probably about four or five dishes that, like, the whole family loves. And, you know, when you come home from college, it's the dish that you used to request. So what happened was I, when I set up the interviews and, and the, the cooking sessions, rather, um, I would ask the kids. I would say, okay, you want, you, my, I'm going to go cook with your mom. What should I make? And, like, no one hesitated. Okay, you're going to my mom's? I want to know how to make her pasticcio. I want to know how to make her spanakopita. Like, those are the things you got to learn because those are the things I want to know. So I really feel like I tapped into, like, the mother load, you know, like, you know, double entendre there, the mother load <laughs> of the recipes that are really, really honed and, like, really good. So... Um, aside from all the great stories and historical data and everything else in the book, you're going to get 100 Grandma's Greatest Hits <laughs> if you buy the book. So yeah. that's the other great part. No, that's so true. And I am, I am a little bit biased. I mean, I love this book for many reasons, but my grandma is also one of the featured women in it. Um, and as soon as Anna brought up including her in the book, I was like, well, obviously, she has to make her pernil and her arroz con gandules and... Like it, it was, I, I didn't even think for a second about what I needed, what I wanted her to make because those are like my favorites that she makes that all of my friends love, that our whole family gets together around. Um, so it really is like the, the biggest and the best recipes that you could possibly want from each of these countries um, as told to you by an authentic source. So it's really great. The food is so, so good. So Anna, um, you've tested and written recipes for a variety of publications. So how did writing this book differ from putting together content like for your blog or for to be featured online? Well, I mean, what, what's interesting is, you know, you're, you're dealing with women, almost all of them, where English is their second language. And it's funny because I think growing up with a mother with um, an accent, I've never had a problem understanding someone with an accent, even if it's not an Italian accent. I just think um, even when I worked in sales, if I had a client that, you know, English was their second language, they'd always say, oh, you know, I hope you can understand me. I never had a problem. It's like, I don't know, I think I was just born with an ear to understand an accented English. So there was that. And then on top of it, um, I, had a, I did have two women in the book that don't speak very much English, but I had their children there translate. But on top of that, there was a whole bunch of dash pinch, I don't measure, well, it's whatever the butcher has, or, you know, things like that. So to say that it took my skills um, and challenged them to the max is an understatement, um, <laughs> because, you know, they don't even really know sometimes, they just know what they do. So it was a lot of slow down, um, could we do that again, why do you do it this way, and it's really funny, because I'm reading some of the edits from like the copy editor and she'll like say it like, why exactly does the woman add the salt and the parsley now when it would be much easier? And it's like, okay, don't even go there because this is how she does it <laughs> and this is how she wants it done. And when you do it her way, I don't know why, I don't know how, but it works. So if it isn't broke, we can't, you know, we can't try to fix it. So. There was a lot of that. And then after I wrote up the recipes, I also tested them 
because each woman was so gracious to cook the food, and then, of course, we would sit and eat the food. So I got to taste it and photograph it. So it was all about replicating it because, you know, if you Google, I don't know, if you Google Hungarian goulash, for example, or, or, or German goulash, you're going to find a ton of recipes. It's not going to be difficult to find it, but I don't want that. I want Anke's goulash because that's the one I tried. That's the one that was delicious, and that's the recipe that her daughter cherishes. So it was about identifying exactly how she does it to make it taste that way so that when her daughter, Laura, has this recipe for me and tries it, look, it's not going to taste exact. I truly believe that, you know, there's something about a person's hand going into that dish that gives it that special taste, but it's going to be as close as possible so that when she's making it years from now, those feelings, those emotions are elicited and those tastes are very, very, very similar, if not identical, to the goulash that her mother made for her as a child. So that was a big part of the process. And then, so, you know, it's funny. I, I, tell, I tell my kids all the time, I feel like I adopted 34 grandmas because <laughs> I will call these women, you know, they're all on my cell phone. I call them and, you know, especially sometimes things will come back from another edit and there's a new question and every one of them, is, they love it. Like, I think it's going to be a five-minute conversation, and then I'm on the phone 40 minutes because then she starts talking about this and like that, and we catch up, and we talk about the grandkids, and, you know, and then at the end of the conversation, it's always, Anna, if you have any more questions, just call me, you know? <laughs> and so it's just wonderful, and they're all so excited to be in this book. And, you know, we photographed every one of them. Um we, you know, they were up on my blog. So it's like each one of them finally feel like, wow, something that I was doing that was, you know, a chore, part of my daily life is actually now being highlighted is really, really cool. And I feel very proud. And I, I always keep saying this book is about them. I want each one of these women to get this book and feel really proud that they're in it. And it's called Heirloom Kitchen. But I also want the book to be an heirloom for them. I want them to be able to give this to their, their children and their grandchildren and say, wow, you know, my Nona or my Yaya or my Abuela is in this cookbook. And look at her. Look how beautiful she was. Look at all of her ephemera um, back from the old country. And wow, look at her published beautiful recipes. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's also going to be an heirloom for a lot of other people, too. I think it's just a really beautiful kind of time capsule almost of what what American food is right now. And um, the reality is that American food is really not any one particular thing. It's, it's, all, of, it's all of our food. Um, I also think an important thing to mention is that all of these women kind of had to adapt these recipes um, based on you know living here and maybe not having all the ingredients that one might have back home. Um, so not only do these recipes really work um, and they're super well tested, but there's also a lot of variations for if you're just at a regular supermarket here and looking to recreate these dishes, um, but may not be able to find something very obscure. Um, so I right. think that that's a really lovely thing as well. Right. We did a good job. And I also, you know, I would also ask the women, you know, if you went to your, you know, Caribbean market and X ingredient was either off the shelf or you couldn't get it, is there something that you used to substitute? And, you know, the, the great thing is about these women, you know, when they came over here in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s, um, you are not looking at the same grocery stores that you're looking at today. Um, you know, I can walk into a grocery store, 
never mind Amazon or specialty markets, and get, I would say, about 90% of the rest of ingredients in this book simply because we've become so internationally focused in our ingredients, you know. And these women, when they first got here, some of them didn't have that luxury. So it's funny um, how they learned to substitute when they first got here. So that, that helped me now writing this book because now they might be able to get, for example, when you're making Sancocho, now you can get Kent Pumpkin, um, even at Whole Foods. But, you know, she said, oh, you know, when I first got here, I'd throw in some butternut squash. But, you know, now I can get Kent Pumpkin, so I put the Kent Pumpkin in because that's what you're supposed to use. So there, there's definitely ways to riff on the recipes. And one thing Christina and I thought was really important to have in the book, and I hope people do read this before, you know, they they get upset, is that, you know, we tossed around this word authentic, and it's a really tough word, and it's actually a very heated word right now, because what's authentic to you might not be authentic to me. Um, for example, Lucy, this lovely Armenian woman that taught me how to make Armenian food, in one of her recipes, she actually puts in a half a cup of ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> Now, there was no ketchup in Lebanon. And if you look, you go to Lebanon and you eat this dish, it's going to have ketchup. So I asked Lucy, why do you put ketchup in this recipe? And she goes, because I came here and I really liked the taste of ketchup. <laughs> One day, I put it in my recipe, and it really works. And it does. It tastes delicious. But we don't want, you know, an Armenian from Lebanon, for example, to read that recipe and get very angry because, <laughs> of course, their mother did not put ketchup in it. So one thing that we were, you know, tried to be sensitive about and, and mentioned in the beginning of the book is, look, these are these women's recipes. It's not going to be exactly like your mom because every home cook makes it the way they make it or the way their mother made it or the way they decided to riff on it. But if nothing else, if your Ar Armenian grandmother, for example, is no longer with you and you really want to make this dish, you at least have a starting point. You can say, okay, this definitely looks the way she made it and it tastes similar. And then you can make it and feel really happy and feel like, you know, your grandmother's in the kitchen with you and then you can refine it as well. So we just don't want people to get too hung up on the whole authentic um, title. At the end of the day, it's these women's recipes. Right. There are recipes by home cooks for home cooks. Exactly. So, Anna, my last question for you. So what's something, is there anything that surprised you when you were putting this book together? Um, how much work it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I thought, you know, traveling all over and, and getting all these recipes and testing was really hard. No, I mean, I have to say, you know, I listen to tons of podcasts, especially cookbook or cooking-related podcasts, and, you know, the authors come on and, you know, they complain and about the process and whatever, I feel so incredibly blessed. Um, even though, you know, I stress the edits and I stress, I stress the cooking shoots, I wanted the food to look fantastic and organizing the women to get photographed and all that stuff, there was always definitely a level of stress and a level of, you know, um, you know, when you come from an immigrant family, you have this perpetual need to please, so <laughs> there's that, but, um, you know, it, I just have to say I have a complete attitude of gratitude because, you know, when I met Christina, you know, I walked into HarperCollins, it's like breathtaking, like you walk in the door and it's just 
amazingly beautiful, like the walls, like from the floor to the ceiling, lined with books. The thought of this imprint picking me um, and, and and believing in me, we, you know, we met with Christina, and I, like, like she said, I met this, I felt this immediate connection. I appreciated the fact that she got it, and she got what I was trying to do, um, being that she was also the child of an immigrant. And it's funny, I'll never forget, when we got in the elevator, my agent said to me, I think that really went well. She said, but, you know, don't get your hopes up. Everyone is always really polite. We never know. And I just looked at her, and I said, Sarah, it's got to be HarperCollins. It has <laughs> to be. I, I really want this. Um, so when it came about that, you know, the, the, the love was, was mutual and that we were going to work together, I was just really thrilled and you know, one of our first calls, Christina said, Anna, we're going to make a really beautiful book together. It's just kind of set the stage like, yes, we are going to make a really beautiful book. It's going to not be collecting dust on someone's shelf. It's going to be on the coffee table. And that's kind of the way I've always looked at this. Like, I want this out on, in someone's house. Like, look at this book I got. Look at the breathtaking photography. Um, we, we were able to get Andrew Scrivani who has done beautiful work in cookbooks. He did The Art of Pie, shoots for the New York Times Weekly. Um, so, I mean, the man is the food photographer. And then the way he was also able to capture the women, um, he's just wildly talented. And I feel like every person that touched this book is wildly talented. So I feel very blessed. Um, and I don't mind the work. <laughs> Well, I told you from the beginning, putting together, putting this book together is going to be a real labor of love with an emphasis on the labor. Um, but at the end, it's, it's, the love is definitely there. And it's, it's going to be an amazing book. We're so excited to share it with all of you. Um, pick it up for your families, for yourself, for, for your libraries. The book is out on April 9th, 2019. It's called Heirloom Kitchen, and it will be ready just in time for Mother's Day to celebrate all of the amazing and inspiring and strong women in your life. Yeah, if you want to test some of the recipes, there is a handful of them up on my blog, um, annasheirloomkitchen.com. Some of kind of like the, the earlier ones that I did made it up there along with the women's stories. Um, you can follow me at Anna F. Goss at on Instagram. I also have tons of pictures there of just the different recipes that I've made. And yeah, like Christina said, it's a, it's a great Mother's Day present. So you know, definitely check it out. So thank you so much, Anna, for talking to us today and for sharing your story. And we are so excited for Heirloom Kitchen to be out into the world next year. Thank you. This is such a pleasure. Thanks for your time.